You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Yeah, but do we have an awesome worship team or what? Golly, they're just, they're so good, you know. We get spoiled. Like, I've been to some other churches, and it's not just about how they play and sing. Like, you know, you can have some talent. You can be a good singer. You can be a good player. But when the Spirit of the Lord gets all up in there, mmm, mmm, that's just good stuff right there. And then how about this series we're in this right now? Y'all liking this Good Life series? Yes, it is so good. Pastor Day's been killing it. Just killing it every single weekend, knocking it out of the park. I am loving it. And how appropriate is it for the day and time that we're living in right now? Am I the only person that just about every day I think, okay, I think this is about as crazy as it's going to get. We can't possibly go any further. And then you wake up the next day and something happened. You go, oh, well, yeah, I guess we could. We just went a little bit further. And it just keeps going and going and things getting crazier and crazier. And personally, I see it because the counseling sessions have like jumped way up. The amount of people struggling with fear, worry, anxiety, depression, all these different things getting caught up in everything. And these are Christians. These are, these are you guys. These are people in the church. And, and so I stumbled upon a new counseling technique. And I started using it about three weeks ago. And it's working. It's working really good. Like it has a very high success rate. I'm excited about it. So I thought, hey, preemptive strike, right? Just go ahead and share it with you guys. It's something that you can do very easily. This is what I've been telling everybody that's coming in, struggling with everything that's going on and and, and everything's going on in your life. And it's this. You just need to start drinking. (laughs) That's what, you know, I, I mean, some of you may have quit drinking. Go ahead, start it back up. Some of you, maybe you never did stop, just, just, just keep it rolling, maybe, maybe amp it up a little bit more. You know, some of you, you've never drank in your life. Now's, now's a good time to start. Let's go, just go ahead and start. Okay, don't, please nobody leave. I see people get up. If you're online, don't, the online audience just went, ah. well, it could be the opposite. It could be, man, I like this church. My kind of church. I'm talking about drinking from these cups in the series. Yes, that kind of drinking. But I really am serious about it. This, this, is a, this is a real analogy, right? Because the whole series is based off of these four promises that God gave to the nation of Israel. The Jews call them the cups. So each promise is a cup. So there's the cup of salvation, the cup of freedom, the cup of restoration, the cup of fulfillment. They're each a promise that God gave them. And this is what happens all the time in the Bible. You have a real-life event, which this is a real-life event. Israel had been enslaved to Egypt for over 400 years. So you've got generation upon generation upon generation of slaves. Slave mentality. The, The people that are alive now, they don't know any other life. All they know is, I am a slave. My whole family, we are slaves. And that's where they're at. And God comes and he shows up and this is what happens all the time. There's this pattern that we see and this pattern of what he told them then is absolutely the pattern for our life. And this is how it works. God comes in, they've been enslaved, they can't even think outside of that. And he says, okay, step one, I am going to save you from Egypt. All me, 
all on me. You can't, you're, you're so far gone, and, and you, like, you can't even imagine not being a slave. So I'm going to have to come in, and I'm going to have to save you, and I'm going to do that, and that's going to be all on me. Then, after I get you out of there, we're going to start this relationship back and forth. You and I, we're going to get to know each other. And so I'm going to do some things and you're going to do some things because here's the deal. I'm going to get you out of Egypt. That's going to be immediate. I'm going to make that happen. Bam. Now I'm going to have to take some time to get Egypt out of you. And so your Egypt way, your slave mentality, your slave way of thinking, the way you have settled that this is all, it's going to take me a little bit to get that out of you, and I have to get that out of you. That's the cup of freedom. I have to free your mind from that slave mentality because I'm trying to restore you. That's what we're going to talk about today. I have a plan and a purpose for you, and I am God. I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So before any of you were ever born, Israel, I had an entire plan laid out for you. And that plan has not changed. You haven't canceled it. You haven't messed it up. I now need to save you from Egypt, get Egypt out of you so that you can begin to see something different and begin to believe it. I need to get you there because then you get to drink from that fourth cup, the fulfillment, because that is where the end goal is. You know that you're walking according to my plans and my purposes. It's the same way for you and me. God comes and he says, I'm going to save you from this world because this world is broken, it's condemned, it's dying, and I'm going to come and I'm going to save you because you can't save yourself. I want you to be in heaven with me and, and you can't make that happen. You can't be good enough, you can't do good enough. So I'm going to come and I'm going to save you from this world, but then after I do that, we're going to enter, that's going to be all me, but after that, we're going to start this back and forth relationship because now i got to get the world out of you. I've got to get your worldly thinking, your worldly mind. I have to get that out of you because I have a plan and a purpose for your life that has not changed. So I need to get the world out of you and free your mind and free your thinking so that I can restore you back to the plans and the purposes that I have for your life. Then you will be fulfilled. And let me tell you, when you get there, when you know that you know that you are walking in the plans and the purposes of God, this world can go back crazy and you don't care because it's not going to move you. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you're not going to have struggles, pain, sorrows. Sure, you're going to have all that. Everybody's going to have all that. But you're not going to be rocked in the core of your being because your feet are going to be standing on a rock that will not move. And that's where God wants you. God wants you to know the plan that he has for your life. He doesn't want you guessing about it. He doesn't want you wondering about it. He wants you to know it because there's nothing more satisfying or fulfilling than that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You got your card when you came in. If you didn't, slip up your hand. Guest services will be glad to bring one to you. And you see that question there, why do so few drink from this cup? So if that's the truth, if that's where God wants to get us, then why do so many people not drink from it? This is what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that most Christians, they drink of that first cup. They get saved, and then, and then that's it. They don't enter into the rest of it. And man, talk about a miserable life. To know that you're saved and yet not really have any idea why you're here? Why God put you here? Why were you born in this, in this time? Why are you here? You're here on purpose. But to not know that salvation is step one. It's just the beginning. There is so much more for you. And God wants you to know it. 
But I want to take a look at some reasons why maybe people don't drink. And I think part of it is found kind of contained within this first verse. I want to read Exodus 6, 6. That is where this particular promise of restoration comes from. God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So first of all, what does redeemed mean? Redeemed means to repurchase, to buy back. And tied to that is to restore. So think, you know, old, rusted up, run down, you know, old, old car out in the garage somewhere and somebody buys it and they restore it to its original design. Think of it like God is walking through an old nasty flea market and boom, he sees you standing on a shelf, broke, busted, and disgusted. And he says, oh my gosh, this is mine. This belongs to me. And he says to the shopkeeper, how much, how much do you want for that? And he says, oh, that? That's going to cost you everything. And God says, I'll pay it. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he pays the price. He gives everything so that now, once again, now we belong to God and he can restore us. But here's why I think most of us don't do it. Because that verse I just read, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Here's how I think most of us hear that verse. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and some mighty acts of judgment. I think that's what's in our mind. We're laughing. We're all laughing. But I think truth be told, deep down on the inside, most of us feel more like God is policing us and out to get us more than being on our side. Let me tell you what that verse means. Why did he say, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm? Because Israel, just like us, was living so far below where God had intended their lives to be. That he said, I am going to have to reach so far down to get you. And then I'm going to get a hold of you. But when I do, you've got enemies and they're going to try to keep you there. So I'm going to have to bring mighty acts of judgment against your enemies to get them to let you go so I can bring you up here with me. Where you're meant to be. It's what he did for Israel. God went to get Israel. Egypt said, no, you can't have them. We're keeping them right here. And God brought some mighty acts of judgment, some of the greatest acts of judgment ever seen in the history of the world. And that's what he does for us. He says, I'm going to bring you out of this world. Now, there are going to be things in this world that try to keep you there, but I'm going to bring mighty acts of judgment to set you free. But I think one of the reasons we don't is that first blank right there is just inferiority. I think most of us are well aware of how far below God's intended purpose for us we're living. But I think somehow we justify it. We think, well, you know, I've messed up so much. I've done so much. Bad. This is just, this is where God wants me to be. I mean, yeah, maybe he did have this great plan for my life, but I've messed it all up, and so I just have to settle here. And so it's that sense of feeling inferior, feeling like you don't deserve to have any better than what you have right now. But nothing can be further from the truth. And, and we struggle with verses like this in Ephesians where he says, for we are God's masterpiece. All right, let's practice that. Say this after me. I am a masterpiece. Am a masterpiece. Let's say it one more time like you really believe what you just said. I am a masterpiece. That's the truth. That is the truth. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When you break that phrase down in the original language, the good things he has planned for us from long ago, it literally means before time, before creation. 
It literally means that God saw the plan and the purpose for your life before anything ever got created. And then at this day and at this time, he created you to fulfill that purpose. Think of it like an inventor. An inventor never goes into his shop and gets up a bunch of random items laying around and builds some random contraption and goes, wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder what I could do with that. No. An inventor sees a need and then, and then realizes, I need something that can accomplish that. And then he goes back to his shop and he designs something specifically to accomplish that purpose. That is you. And that is me. There is a purpose for your life for this day and time that only you can fulfill. And God has called you to fulfill it, and he wants you to fulfill it. That's one reason, inferiority. Another one would be diversion. Diversion. What do I mean by diversion? A counterfeit plan and purpose for your life. Well, Eddie, who in the world is going to design a counterfeit plan and purpose for my life? Thank you. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the devil. God's enemy, my enemy, your enemy, the Western church. We have, we have a lot of problems with this one. Whoa, whoa, dude, you talking demons and evil spirits? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We got to get to the place where we realize they're real. Listen to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica. He wanted to go see them in person because he, so many churches were talking about how awesome it was when he was there. And they're like, please come. And he tried to go. But listen to what he said. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again. But who prevented us? Satan. Paul himself, prevented by Satan. That word prevented literally means to put an obstacle in the path or to dig a ditch across the road. So Paul ran into something that he could not get around. Satan won that battle. Satan 100% prevented him from getting him where he wanted to go. So he had to write these letters to the church and encourage them. See, we don't see much of that in the Western world, right? Because Satan doesn't have to walk around manifesting demonic, you know, kind of Linda Blair head spinning, all that kind of. He ain't got to do that. Because in the Western church, we got all kind of good distractions. He ain't got to mess with that. Why should he mess with that when he's got Xbox, PlayStation, travel ball? And all kind of things he can use to just suck all the life and energy out of your time and out of your day. Now, nothing against those things. When anybody go out of here and say, I can't play the PlayStation anymore. <laughs> I got a PlayStation in my house. And I love me some Call of Duty. Especially right now, things are getting crazy. I'm like, I'm going to go shoot and blow something up. But now don't kid yourself and think that that PlayStation won't dominate your life and your time. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I'll be honest. I could easily sit down in front of that thing and play video games for hours. You can, but you better not. That's what my wife says. No, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, anybody in here plays video games, you know. You know that thing just wants, it just calls to you, it just beckons to you. You got to teach that thing. You got a finger. And it's got a power button. And I get a dink. I'm the boss. I'm in control of my life. There's so many different things in our life that, that will compete for that. And Satan absolutely has a counterfeit plan and purpose for your life. Where does that come from? It can come from a lot of places. It can come from bad stuff. Pain in your life, trauma in your life, brokenheartedness in your life. But don't make any mistakes. It can come from good things in your life. Satan is perfectly, perfectly happy with you having a very successful career. As long as that successful career is not the successful career that God designed for you. 
He's totally okay with you having all kind of nice things. Big house, lots of money, lots of cars. That's not a problem for him. As long as it's not the big house and the lots of money and the cars that God wanted you to have. God's not against any of those things. But you just have to be aware and have that awareness that you do have an enemy. He is real. Satan is not a metaphor. Demons are real. Evil spirits are real. They do control people. They do influence people. They do control lives. And I want to take just a minute and look at somebody who is in the Bible. Her name is Mary. And the thing that I love, i got to check real quick and make sure I didn't miss anything. Nope, good. We're good. Uh, the, thing, the, the reason I want to look at Mary's story, this is Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. I want to look at her story because I don't know how many of y'all have ever watched the show The Chosen. Um, I have not watched the whole thing, but somebody showed me this clips, these clips, and we're talking about redemption and restoration, and, and, and you could not do a better job of painting the picture than they do through the story of Mary because what we're going to see in Mary is that there were things that happened in her life that opened her up to that evil side of the world, and she became a victim to it. We don't know a whole lot about Mary. Her last name wasn't really Magdalene. She's Mary of Magdalene. She was from a place called Magdala, so, but they just ended up calling her Mary Magdalene. But what we do know is the first time that Jesus meets her, she had seven demons in her, and Jesus cast them all out. Now, again, don't thank Linda Blair. Her head wasn't spinning. She wasn't spitting out pea soup, okay? Don't go there. Here's the way demonic possession looked a lot of times in people because demons desire to inhabit a body because they're disembodied spirits. So to be in a body where they can experience what you and I experience as being created in the image of God, they crave that. So many times in the Old Testament, you see them in people, but they weren't just nonstop tormenting them, but there would be moments. And in the chosen for Mary, the way they manifest in her is in these fits of rage. She would have these fits of rage, and when she did, everybody just knew, man, don't go in there. You could hear her just, you could hear weird things coming out of her mouth, and you could just hear stuff being tossed around. They'd be like, just leave her alone, and in a little bit she'll be all right, and then she'll calm back down, and we'll be good. That's how they manifested themselves in her. And so we don't know where that trauma came from. We don't know how that demon possession happened. Again, there's lots of ways it can happen, and that's what I love about these clips we're about to watch is, it may not be exactly accurate because, again, her early life is not in the Bible, but it is accurate to you and me. It's 100% accurate to how doors get open because when we're hurting and in pain, you will reach for anything that offers any sense of hope. And I could imagine that's all she did. But before we go all the way to that part of the story, let's back up and look at Mary as a little girl and she's being raised by her father and he's obviously sick as you'll see and it's nighttime and she's woken up afraid and she goes outside to talk to her dad take a look at this clip that's where we all start right I mean as children they're just full of hope and promise the easiest time to get somebody to believe in the gospel to believe in a loving and kind God who gave his son for them is to a child they find that very easy to believe but like Mary, even though she was told that as a child, even though she had these precious words, I have redeemed you. The God who formed you, who created you, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. The same thing happens to Mary that happens to all of us, and that is life. 
So her father passes away and she has no other family. And so now she is a young girl left to herself with nobody to help protect her in a, in a land occupied by the Roman military. And you can imagine what that meant. And so who knows what happened to Mary in her life to, to open her up to a place to where these, these things would be able to gain access to her. But I know that when somebody is broken bad enough, those doors will swing wide open. And there's a lot of things that will come offering hope. And so we pick this story up now, and, and, and Mary is in her early 20s, and she's in her room. And she has just come to the end of her rope. There's a friend of hers who said, you know, Mary, that there's help out there. We could get a priest to come and, and exercise these demons from you to deliver you from their power. And she agrees to give it a shot. One last try. Maybe this will help. I've tried everything else. Nothing has worked. But maybe this will work. And so the Jewish priest arrives, and she's right in the middle of one of her fits, and there's a friend there outside the house that says, do not go in there. This, this, she'll, she'll be okay. I know it sounds bad, and, and if you go in there, the whole place is going to be a wreck because she's destroying everything, but she won't hurt you if you just stay out here. But if you go in there and she gets her hands on you, she'll hurt you. So just stay out here. And, of course, the priest is like, no, I'm the high priest. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to deliver her of these demons. And the priest goes in. And when Mary sees him, she looks him right in the eye. And she says to him, well, the demons in her say to that priest, we're not afraid of you. You have no power and you have no authority. And it so chills him to the bone that he leaves. And now Mary is left to herself in her destroyed room that is a very accurate depiction of her inner world, just everything torn to pieces. And she finds that doll, that same little doll you saw in that clip, and in that doll is that verse. It's the verse her dad taught her, and she opens it up, and she starts to read it. And then she gets to, I have redeemed you, and all of a sudden this clash between where her life is now and what that word means comes to a head. Let's watch what happens. And the scales tip. You know, you can only hang on to hope for so long. And when that, when that darkness closes in over you, and you die on the inside, you give up. You don't... Don't get her wrong. She's not tearing that verse up because she's mad at God. She's tearing that verse up because she gives up. She knows that she can never, ever possibly, possibly return to who God created her to be. And what you don't see after this clip is that she walks out to the edge of a cliff and just considers ending it all. And maybe, maybe you're in here. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've considered that even recently. I did. I acted on it. And thank God it didn't work. Most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life. But I'm telling you, when the darkness 
closes in and you are dead on the inside and you're just a shell of a person, you can only pretend for so long that everything is okay. And don't think there aren't some evil voices in your head telling you, just end it all because nobody cares. And I'm here to tell you if that's you, that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. You do matter. Somebody does care. God cares. There are people around you that care. You might not be able to see it, but I promise you, I promise you that they're there. And what God wants to do for you is the same thing he did for me. It's the same thing he's about to do for Mary. See, Mary has given up on God, but he hasn't given up on her. So she goes to this bar, and there's this bartender there who, who helped arrange the whole thing with the exorcism. And, and so they have this conversation, except he doesn't call her Mary. She hasn't gone by Mary in years. Nobody knows that's her name. She changed her name to Lilith. Don't know why. Maybe because she felt ashamed of who she had become. Maybe she felt like she was so far from daddy's little girl. She didn't deserve to have that beautiful name. Not that Lilith isn't a beautiful name, but it's not her name. It's not who she is. So nobody in her life knows her real name. And nobody in her life knows about that verse except God. And so now we pick this up, and she's in this bar. She has given up on God, but I want you to watch what happens when love encounters despair. Take a look at this clip. That moment, that moment when God speaks your name, and you as just a broken, empty, dead thing are suddenly so filled with the love of God that it just permeates every ounce of your being. I love how she tried to run away and God just pursued her. He's doing the same thing for you. If you don't know him, you might think you're running from him, but he's right behind you. He's not out to get you. He's out to love you. Because what you just watched, that is what happens when the Word of God encounters that dark, evil, dead place. Love always wins. And from that moment on, Mary was restored. She became a new person, just like so many people have. I mean, I still remember, I, I, I tried to watch this a lot so I wouldn't cry. But it so reminds me of the day in 1990 when I was walking down a pier and God was right behind me. And suddenly he was in front of me and suddenly he spoke my name and I have never felt so much love in my life and two things I couldn't stop doing after that I couldn't stop smiling and I couldn't stop crying 
I know you're like, um, uh, I don't want to point out the obvious, but you, you're still crying. You're right, I am. But they're good tears. They're not tears of pain. They're not tears of sorrow. They're, it's what happens when you touch the heart of God towards you. I don't mean for other people. I mean for you. When you feel how much he loves you and accepts you right where you are, right where you're at. When he comes into your dead, dark world and pours everything he has into you. That is the love of God. All right, Eddie, you've convinced me. Okay, I want that. How do I get there? I'm glad you asked. I'm ready to get out of this spotlight and move on back to the card. Let's get back to the card. Whew, mercy. All right. So I, I do want you to have that, and God wants you to have that. And I want to give you just three simple, easy steps to follow to get you there. And the first one is that you have to believe that God has a purpose for you. You have to believe it. It's in his word. That is his word. This word is alive and living. This isn't a bunch of words written on paper by men. Why do you, what, of all the things Jesus could have done, when Mary stopped, he called her name and she stopped and she turned, why didn't he get involved in a conversation? Oh, Mary, I'm so sorry, you know, for the things that have happened to you. I really didn't mean for those things that happened to you. You know you've got an enemy. Your enemy is the devil. And he, why didn't he do that? No, he said, thus saith the Lord. The one who created you, the one who, who formed you, I have redeemed you, and you are mine. Jesus himself used the power of the living word of God to break that demonic stronghold on her life. So you have to believe God has this purpose for you. Look at Ephesians where he says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are, and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us and had designs on us for glorious living. I don't know how you would describe your living right now, but the living God wants for you is glorious living. Supernaturally glorious living, not tied to this world. Not tied to what's going on in this world. A supernatural glorious living on the inside of you that this world can't touch. As part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. You say, well, Eddie, I, I, just, I just struggle with that. I have a hard time with that. Well, then you've got a problem with God. Because according to Romans 11.29, he says, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. Well, Eddie, you don't know how. I mean, I've done some, I've done some terrible things. Oh, really? So you're really going to have that conversation with God? God, I know you're all powerful, but I am powerful enough to cancel out your plans. Sounds silly when you say it like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So you have to believe that. You have to believe God has a purpose for your life. Number two, and this one out of all of these, this is the big one. This is the big one for this weekend, the Mac Daddy, the one that so many people get tripped up on. You have to exchange your old life for your new life. Look at what it says in this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a better version of the old person he used to be. God has picked him up, dusted him off, fixed, done some repairs. Does it say that? No. What's it say? He said, if you're in Christ, you are a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. What does passed away mean? Died. They're dead. 
And behold, all things have become new. Romans 8, or Romans 6, 4, re-emphasizing it. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives by the glorious power of the Father. So many people get in church and they get saved and they get busy cleaning up that old dead cadaver. You know what an old dead cadaver smells like when you clean it up? An old dead cadaver. It is what it is. I mean, y'all keep digging that old man up. And God's saying, would you leave that maggot-infested thing alone? Quit touching it. That's not you. You're new. You're brand new. You're a new creation. Well, yeah, but God, I need to get busy cleaning up something. No, let, let me help you out with this, okay? You can't make stuff new. I can. I'm a miracle-working God. That's why I'm not a clean-up working God. I'm not a glorified, spruce-you-up looking God. I'm a miracle working God. I have the power and the authority to make you something you've never been. But it's the thing I designed and created you to be for this plan and this purpose that I have for your life. But if you keep dragging that old dead thing around, we're going to have a hard time getting there. I mean, man, it is like fear of the walking dead, right? They did dead Christians all over the place. Just, you know, <laughs> glory to God, brother. I'm walking in the promises of God. And your nose falls off your face. Come on. Leave the old dead things behind. You say, Eddie, man, gosh, dude, you're, you're at that, that's, that, that's, that's crazy thinking. And I get that that is. I totally understand that. This is not easy. This is not simple. We talked about Israel getting delivered from Egypt. God tried this over and over. Okay, hey, I need to, free, I need to get that slave mentality out of you. I'm, I'm going to get that slave mentality out of you. I need to reform you. I need to get you seeing the plan and the purpose that I have for you. The majority of them never made it. They never entered into the fulfillment that God had for them because they couldn't break that mindset. God was doing his part, but they just, for whatever reason, they couldn't come to believe that he could possibly do what he said he would do, even though they watched him perform miracles that have never been seen in the history of the world. It still couldn't break that mindset. So I'm not saying it's easy. A dear friend of mine came up to me after last service, and I told you I haven't watched The Chosen. I've just watched these clips, and dear Lord, dear enough. Ball my eyes out every time I watch them. But he told me, he said, well, you know, in The Chosen, after that happens with Mary, she does what you and I would call backslide. She does have a, a weak moment and goes back into her old life. And it messes her up so bad that she like runs away again. And, and she's ashamed to be seen by Jesus. And Jesus comes and he finds her. And she says that she's ashamed. He goes, why are you ashamed? Oh, did you think this was going to be easy? And I love that. Because you've got to have grace for yourself. When that old, nasty, rotten thing stands up and tries to convince you that that's who you are, you have to have grace for yourself. I mean, I do. I've hit that thing in the head with a hammer. I've blowed it up with dynamite. I've done all kinds of stuff to get rid of that thing, and it still tries to hang around. But you have to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And then this exchange to where you say, you know what, God, that is not who I am. Yes, I did that, but that's part of that old me, and I'm working on it, but I need you to help me. I need that new me. I've seen that new me. I've seen glimpses of it. You show, you've shown it to me. I need your help because I can't do this on my own. Which brings me to my third point, which is that you have to allow God to reveal the new you. 
It is a cooperation thing. This isn't an all-God thing where God says, I'm just going to do it and you ain't going to have to worry about it. You have to allow him to do it. I love this verse in Romans. This, every verse in the Bible, this is my favorite, favorite verse. Because it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God. So in other words, you have to let him. It says let God because you have to let God. Let God transform you into a better version of your old self, a cleaned up version of your old self, a resurrection of your dead self. No, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is three wonderful things, good, pleasing, and perfect. That's the life he has for you. That's the life that he wants for you. This is how you know if you're drinking, is in that verse. Are you letting God do that work? And the only way for it to happen is for you to spend time with him. How do you spend time with him? You create as much space in your life for him as you can. Hey, if you can create all that space for your kids to do travel ball, or if you can create all that space to play hours and hours on ends of video games, if you can create all the space for all these other things in your life, surely we can create space in our life for God. Because this is why I struggle with, hey, Eddie, can you give me some practical steps? And I'm going to give you some practical steps in a little bit. But when it comes to this, it doesn't do me any good to tell you what I did. Because God is so awesome and amazing and unique is he does this in every single person unique to that person. You can do everything that I've done in my life. And probably nothing's going to happen. Because you're still trying to do it. You see that? Oh, if I, if I do it like he did it, note that you're, you're still doing it all on you. Somehow we have to get comfortable with being able to go into a room with no distractions and sit down long enough to let our minds calm down and slow down and just spend time with him. I mean... Are you going to have a very good marriage if you get married and then all you ever do is you work and then when you get off work you go and, and you play ball for the local company and then you know when you're not doing that you come home and you're playing video games and when you're not doing that, oh, hey, honey, by the way, I'm going with the guys out to a ball game this weekend. I'll be back Monday. But, oh, yeah, I'll be back Monday, but i got to go to work. My, I, that marriage ain't going to last. We have to invest that time. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to have an opportunity for everybody to get on board with it. If you're in here and you're like, I see it, I get it, I see it, so I just need to do it. There might be some people in here that you haven't taken step one. Step one is all God thing, right? You got to be saved. You have to be saved from this world, and that is all God. Your only, your only action in that whole thing is to say, yes, thank you very much, I will take that. That's it. That's the only effort you have is to lift that hand up. That's all it takes. And God says, I'll do everything else. And then you can enter in to these other cups. You get saved, and then you start drinking. That's a great evangelism tool right there. When y'all go home and they say, hey, what did the preacher talk about? He said, he got me saved and then told me I need to start drinking. We'll have all kinds of people come. They say, man, I'm coming with you to church next weekend. You ain't got to tell them what you're drinking. Just tell them, yeah, I got saved, and I'm going to start drinking. All right, all right, being funny. But I do want to give people an opportunity to take that first step. And you know what? If there's only one person in here, I'm fine with that. I think we had like 15 last service. Last weekend we had 80 people, or the weekend before we had 80 people. 80. 
give their lives to the Lord. So any weekend, anybody could be in here. So I'm simply going to give you an opportunity to respond and then we'll move on from there. So if everybody just bow your head and close your eyes, and if you're in here and you're like, man, Eddie, I do need to do that. Like, I want that life. I want to know why I'm here. I do want to know the purpose that God has for me because I can't see it right now. But you say, I do need to take that first step. If you would, just slip your hand up real quick and let me see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Over here to my left. Thank you very much. Up in the balcony. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anybody else here in this middle section? Thank you, sir. Up here in the balcony, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Thank you, sir. I don't know, 40 people? Not bad. That's awesome. That's why we do church the way we do it, by the way. That's the most important thing. First step, most important step. So now we're going to do something a little different. Normally we would keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Y'all can all open up your eyes now. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray for all you guys that raised your hands. It's going to be your prayer, but we're going to pray it according to the words on this. And we're going to keep our eyes open. How about that? Stressing you out right there. But think about, think about it this way. Would it be weird to you if you went out to dinner with your spouse and the whole time y'all were talking that your spouse had their eyes closed? Would that just not be weird? Nothing weird or wrong with closing your eyes, but God is totally okay with you keeping your eyes open. So we're all going to pray this prayer, but for you guys that raise your hand, man, this is the day. This is the day that you're never going to be the same. This is the day that your old life dies and your new life begins. And it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to cooperate with God to discover that new life. But the salvation side, the you go into heaven side, is done. Check that box. Because that's all God. That has nothing to do with you. You just simply had to say yes. And you did. And so we pray this prayer. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, which you obviously do or you wouldn't have raised your hand, you will be saved. No conditions on that. That's it. So, for all of you that raise your hands, but for everybody in the room, would you pray this after me? Father God, I believe that you have a purpose for my life. That you designed me for a purpose. And I'm ready to exchange my old life for my new life. I believe that Jesus is your son that he died for me. He purchased me with his life. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and create in me a new life. Forgive me of my old life. Reveal to me the new. And I promise to allow you to continue to reveal who I really am and why I'm really here. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give those guys that raise their hands a big hand? Yes. Yes. All right, I can't leave y'all hanging on that. Whew, that was, that was an emotional service right there. But here, I, when I was planning for this service, I came across this song. Oh, y'all ain't even ready for this. 
This is so good. I mean, this song could be the national anthem for this entire message. You've never sang it before. Well, I say it, we've never sung it before here in the church. You're going to want to write this down. Miracle Power by We the Kingdom. Miracle Power by We the Kingdom. Let me just read. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you since we've never sung it before, and then we're going to sing it. Listen to this first verse and chorus. This is for the lost and lonely, for the broken and afraid. This is for those who are hurting, hoping help is on the way. In these battles of addiction, when fear is chasing after me, whatever trouble I am facing, I will lift my hands and sing. I believe in miracle power, in a wonder-working God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, working wonders in my heart. I belong to a loving Father. I'm friends with Christ, His Son. And when it feels like I won't make it, I call on Jesus. Now that's just a taste. And that's me saying it. These guys are about to sing it, and you're going to sing it with them. We've got we to gotta come down. Y'all calm down. Everybody calm down. Everybody take a deep breath. Yeah. See, I'm up here. We're all up here. Song starts down here. We've got we to get everybody on board. So just sit there and allow these guys to minister to you for a moment. But I promise you, I promise you, there's going to be a place in this song where that spirit's going to hit you and you feel free to jump right up on your feet. Amen? Amen. Woo! Man, did I tell y'all or what? Hey, you can be seated for just a minute. For all of you blank filler inners, I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all couldn't even hardly enjoy that song right there because you're like, Eddie, there's two more blanks. There's, there's two more blanks on the page. Hey, somebody go up there and tell him there's two more blanks on that page. I know there's two more blanks on that page. Let me go ahead and give you the two more blanks on that page. My purpose is restored through Christ. My purpose is restored through Christ. Let me tell you a little something about Mary. What, you know, what does a new creation look like? It doesn't look weird. It really doesn't. I can tell you a little bit about what it looked like in Mary. What we see in Mary after her encounter with Jesus when she came back is that fear was gone. She never left Jesus aside. At the crucifixion, she was right there. All those Roman soldiers, all those red tassels, it didn't trigger her. She had a new courage. She had a new strength on the inside that that no longer dictated who she was. And then guess who the very first person Jesus appeared to in his resurrection? Mary. Mary. Guess what Mary did? Mary ran and told the disciples. Guess what the disciples did? They didn't believe it. You know why? Let me help you out on this journey of becoming a new person. Because people have a hard time letting go of other people's past. Jesus doesn't have that problem. Amen. Amen. If you live for people and them knowing whether you, you, it's, you just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So, Eddie, what, what can I do? Give me some practical steps for all you practical people. I've got three for you. You got three little QR codes on the front of that, on the front of your card. One is for the growth track. You heard Pastor Dave talk about it last weekend. And thank you guys for being so awesome. We had a record-setting pre-registration for our growth track because of your response to last weekend's message. Yes. The second one is small groups. Get involved in a group. I'm going to take this opportunity to shamelessly promote my own group. I'm doing a small group for nine weeks on discipling men. It is a men's discipleship small group. It's called Next Level Men. And the reason it's called Next Level Men is it's because no matter where you are, you know a lot, you don't know anything. 
Wherever you're at, we'll get you to the next level. Nine weeks, not that long, one hour on Tuesday nights beginning a week from this Tuesday. I would love to have you join that group. And then water baptism. For those of you that raised your hand, water baptism is the next step. Get water baptized. But let me also make a plea to those of you that maybe you heard this today and you were like, man, Eddie, that's me. Like I did. I got saved. I'm saved. I've been saved. But that's why I don't know what God's called me to do. I just, I just kind of stopped. I quit drinking. And I need to get back in there and let God get this world out of me so that I can get restored to the original plan and purpose he had for me so I can have that sense of fulfillment of knowing that I know that I am walking in the plans and the purposes of God. I want that. And it's not easy. But the more room you make for God, the easier it will be. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall down. That old nasty rotten thing is going to stand up. Don't pay it any attention. Go back to Jesus every time, every time, every time. Because he wants you in this world, just not of it. But he does need you in it. But he needs you in it with the light and the life that only Christ can produce in you. Amen? Amen. Now, would you stand to your feet? I just want to bless you guys as you go with that awareness. Man, God has a specific plan designed just for you. And he wants to reveal it to you. He's not hiding it. He wants to show it to you. So make room, give him space, let him do what he does. Let God transform you into a new creation in Jesus' name. Lord bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.